Good evening, you're in tune to Enlightenment Radio, home of the ultimate experience of God. <laughs> What's the point in believing? Did I turn that down too much? If you cannot experience what you are believing. Our motto is believe understand, experience, and become more enlightened. Those are the four steps to shifting and transforming your life from a zombie walking around this world unconscious, waiting for the next Kardashian sitcom, Political arrests coming, chaos in the streets. But here at Enlightenment Radio, the reason I originally thought of opening this station was people are going to need a place to go to get the truth because it is the only source. You can't get it from the news. You can't get it from scientists, especially we found that out the medical field, the intelligence field. How are you going to get any of those people to tell the truth? The media, especially. So I wanted a place where people could come, listen to what we have to say, we research it. This is the result of 45 years of biblical research and teaching. And if you were to research the Bible on your own, you would not find words like reincarnation, incarnation, very God of very God, God the Son, no Trinity. You wouldn't find any of those words in the Bible. Even the encyclopedia, the Catholic Church, says so. What we want to know is, my thing especially, is truth versus tradition. Let me turn this down. Truth versus tradition. Tradition is error taught so many times that it becomes believed and then they find scriptures and twist them and pervert them to back what they believe. And then it becomes a religion, a sacrament. I'm going to play a little more music for a minute and get started with our series. Once again, I don't need to play music. Once again, the series we are on is Jesus Christ our Passover and it pertains to the last week the most historical week in the history of the world after all our calendar is based on it he was born in 3 BC he was crucified AD April 20 April AD 27 AD excuse me April of 27 AD, and he was born in September 11th of 3 BC. 
And by all accounts, all things that I have read from studied 45 years ago, nobody believed it, nobody copped to it, nobody researched it. And now I'm looking over the Internet, and by golly, there are lots of people out there who have come to the point where they have researched a lot of what we used to teach and have validated it. I just pulled it up on the Internet just for a hoot. And it is... Where's that study I pulled up? I'll find it. You know me. I am not the best navigator of the Internet. Ask Robbie. <laughs> I'm probably not even in the right chat room tonight. What chat room is it? The love room? The music room? Oh, it's the tea party. Welcome, tea party. Good morning, India. Good morning, my Bollywood family. God loves you. And he wants you to prosper. He wants you to go out into the world and prosper, be in good health, and live a more than abundant life. It's that simple. But the uh, adversary wants to steal, kill, and destroy from your life and your joy. And there are certain things, they're so subtle. Like I explained to you the other night, my friend was questioning my belief that Judas Iscariot was alive after the resurrection all the way up until the ascension, and, and it's clearly, scripturally true. God just gave him one short, quick verse. He didn't want to give him more credit than that. He just said, Jesus, or Judas went out and hanged himself. <laughs> what a nice final legacy he had. So, what happens is, there's a verse in 1 Corinthians that says, the love of God rejoices in the truth. rejoices in the truth. So if it rejoices in the truth, what are we going to do with tradition? Well, we're going to make a religion out of it, we're going to make followers out of it, and we're going to collect a lot of money. And if anybody tries to tell us that we are not teaching the truth, they're heretics. I've been labeled a heretic, a cult, for over 40 years. It just falls like water off my back now. What do you want for truth? I present the scriptures. I line them up. I connect the dots. I make them balance. I make them fit. And you decide, I'm not sitting here saying I have the corner on the truth. I'm simply saying that research it yourself. Did Eve and Adam really eat an apple in the Garden of Eden? It doesn't even say apple. It says fruit. 
Simple things like that. And you're saying, well, what difference does it make? And the differences to God is light years. And I'm trying to handle another chat room, if you don't mind tonight. There's some other people who want to listen in. And I'm trying to give them and give them instructions too. So tradition teaches, let's get to it. Tradition teaches that Jesus Christ, the last week of his life, like I said, was the most fantastic week in the life of the history of the world. However, we've messed it up with our stupid traditions, what day he died on, how long he was buried, how he was crucified, all the things that are in the Gospels do not fit everything that are in the epistles. Well, you cannot reconcile the two different ages. And I tell you about that in my book. By the way, my website is themysticalvoyage.com where you can read Christ in a Mystery, a mystical approach to conscious enlightenment out of the scriptures. Somebody's trying to get my attention. This has been going on. Oh, that's just my nervous assistant, Secretary Robbie, wondering 20 minutes ago if I was awake. I love you, Robbie. Thank you for keeping me on the ball. You're my right-hand man. You know, Paul had Barnabas, and then he had a few others, Timothy. You take people under your wing. I'm going to get back to my uh, point here. But you take people under your wing. It's called under-shepherding. Until they can grow and be as strong as you in the Word. And when they grow on being strong as you are, then they can go out and teach others also. That was the principle of the outreach and growth of the rise and expansion of the mystical powers of the first century. It's called the mystery. It wasn't a church. It wasn't a religion. It was a movement. And we need that movement to be revived today because we have, they don't, what church have you ever walked into? And I haven't walked into one in over 25 years for apparent reasons. I don't want to hear golf stories, how they're allegorious to the woman at the well or whatever. I just want the truth. Like John Lennon said, just give me the truth. And there are a lot of unbelievers that have some points because they're being taught wrongly. So if they're being taught wrongly, oh, well, that religion is, the Bible is, things were taken out and put in, and that's true, really. But there are ways of 
going to checks and balances to see the truth, to find it. And you know what helps you find and see? I have looked at the pages of a paragraph while reading scripture, and it pops out in yellow 3D. It pops out in yellow 3D because the spirit of truth raises the letters and the key verses up out of the page to make me see it clearly, decipher it, and decode it. That's what the spirit of truth does. Now you're operating in a different realm. You're not just reading a book like everyone else does with the intent of trying to learn history. And it's not just a historical book. It's wonderfully written. Shakespeare couldn't have done better. He thought he did, but he couldn't. <laughs> so I did say I found that. Oh, there it is. Did Jesus Christ make two triumphal entries into Jerusalem? Well, tradition teaches that he made one triumphal entry into Jerusalem. One time. And I'm going to explain why and the reason this first time occurred. He was getting closer. It was becoming closer to the last Passover. Remember last week? We talked about how his ministry was only one year. All three of the first Gospels say there's only one Passover. They only mention one, and every male had to attend. And there was no Passovers between the one and the beginning of those Gospels and the end where he was crucified. John mentions one, and it's a mistranslation. It was added later in the 4th century. We got through that pretty easy, I believe. I think I got it through your beautiful minds. Isn't it wonderful? And then John in the end says, of all the things I could have written down, I could have never put them in one book. And he did it in one year. It's called the acceptable year of the Lord. The lamb of sacrifice had to be a lamb of one year, had to be without blemish, so that's how that tradition came about. Well, let's see what this says. It's clear that there are indeed differences in the gospel accounts of the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem and the events surrounding it. Well, isn't that true of just about everything about Christ last week? The question is, do those differences require the conclusion that they record different events or, as I believe to be the case, are they additional facts so that by studying each account, the reader has a full understanding of the events? You know, like I said, one brings in time, one talks about who, one talks about where. They each had their purpose. Eh, gospel 
apostles didn't get together and say, well, now you write this, if I write this, and if I do this. It's a God-breathed word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. If you don't believe that, then you're in the wrong class. And that brings up another question. How does one determine which is correct approach? This is to say, how does one determine if the difference speak of a different event or they are additional facts? I suggest we go back to the beginning of the Bible. Wow. Genesis for those questions. Genesis chapter 1 gives an account of creation, and Genesis chapter 2 gives a different account of creation. Do these difference, differences require the conclusion that there were two earths created? I believe not. Why not? Because neither contradicts the other. Chapter 2 simply adds different details. That's true. But my point is the Old Testament sets the precedence for the approach to studying the four Gospels. And the approach is that if different facts of the same event presented but do not contradict each other, those differences do not demand the conclusion that they refer to different events. Ooh, look where this guy's heading. I bet he's heading to one entry. Let us consider the Gospels. With their view in mind, it would take us much too far off our topic to prove the following. But each suggestion is discussed in the proved in the paper that they've got linked here. The Gospels open with every different chronologies of Christ, but none contradict the others. Well, yes, they do. I'll, I'll beef with that. But none contradict the others. We call them apparent contradictions, people. I don't call them contradictions. They're apparent contradictions until you figure it out. Therefore, we may conclude that they all speak of one person, Jesus Christ. Yes, we can conclude that. The baptism of Christ is described differently in the gospel accounts of that event. Again, None contradict the others. Therefore, we may conclude that they all speak of one baptism, Christ's baptism. The gospel accounts of the Last Supper vary quite a bit, but no account contradicts another. Does it say the Last Supper? Yeah, I'm glad it does. It doesn't say the Passover Supper because he did not make it. We may conclude, therefore, that there was but one Last Supper. The gospel accounts of the arrest of Christ vary, but none contradicts the other. Let me skip down here. The gospel writer includes the 12 post-resurrection appearances. Here's E.W. Uh, e. Bullinger's view on the two entries into Jerusalem. He was a, quite a biblical scholar at the turn of the century. I take a lot of his study at, at face value. I doubt that there is anyone who admires E.W. Bullinger more than I do for his love of the living and written word and his knowledge of each. But I believe that Dr. Bullinger would rather we search the scriptures to see if these things be true. 
than to merely accept his teachings without being good Bereans. Well, that's what I'm telling you. We are a source of truth here at Enlightenment Radio because we've done the research. So you do the research of our research, and if you come up with the same conclusion, then you can call it the truth. If you find something that causes you conflict or or to resist what we've concluded, then you don't have to believe it. Keep on going. I'm honoring him and his approach to the Word of God by presenting this study. The Appendix 153 of the Companion Bible, I suggest everyone have one. It's a beautiful leather-bound Bible, about a hundred bucks. One entry, Matthew 21.19, takes place before the other, which is recorded in Mark 11, 1 through 10, and in Luke 19, 30, 34, and John 12, 12, and 15. In the appendix 156, Dr. Bollinger explains further that the entry into Jerusalem, as recorded in Matthew, occurred on the sixth day before Passover, and that the supposed second entry into Jerusalem was recorded in Mark occurred on the fourth day before Passover. I believe that there was just one entry into Jerusalem in the last week. What I tell you, I knew he was headed there. I believe that there was just one entry into Jerusalem in the last week before the crucifixion of Christ. The reason for that belief is based primarily on the fact that both Matthew and Mark tell us that Christ came to Jerusalem from Jericho, whereupon he sent his disciples to bring him the animals. Well, there's another contradiction right there. In one instance, they ask for one animal. In one instance, they ask for two. How do you reconcile that? That he would ride into Jerusalem. If there were two entries into Jerusalem, that would mean that Christ would have come from Jericho to Jerusalem then gone back to Jericho. So this guy's basing it on geography. He's not basing it on who, how, and the two animals. We read in Matthew 20, 29, and they departed from Jericho. They drew near to Jerusalem or come to Bethage, which is just outside of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, then went to send Jesus to disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you'll find an ass tied and a colt. Remember this, people. He told them. How did he know that? Revelation from God. And you shall find an ass tied and a colt. The next verses through 11 tell of Christ's entry into Jerusalem. Now let us consider Mark 47, and they came to Jericho. And the remainder of the chapter tells again of the healing of the two blind men. We read, And when they came near to Jerusalem, unto Bethage, Bethany, Hold on, people. I'm going to put on a song and take this call. All right, I've never had this happen before. Maybe it's a guest interview.
Be right back. Listen to this man who broke away from the chains of the tomb. I'm out on a new road in search for a land with no name. And I never look back as I'm walking through sunshine and rain. I'm a man who has lived in the tombs and has broken the chain. Okay, so now I know why he was calling. I didn't push the live button. Now you can hear my voice, and it's a live broadcast. Anyway, the outsiders conclude, and tradition concludes, that we are settled on one entry into Jerusalem. And when we settle on one entry into Jerusalem, we have tradition and not truth. I am going to begin again. And we're going to run a little late. But we're going to get it right. Okay? Because this will be become a podcast. So you're in tune to Enlightenment Radio. I'm sorry for being tw- not pushing the bus the first time. In the history of mankind, that a radio broadcaster has not hit the right button. This has been a week of technical issues and some funky things. The adversary doesn't want you to know the truth, because the truth sets you free. So... Let's start with our theme song this beautiful out of the desert theme song and this theme song has been our station's theme song ever since the beginning i i picked up this song when i was about ready to make a film called mafia boss to the cross and he used to carlo bruno caparimo is that italian He was born in Sicily, was a mob boss for the Gambino family, had a third of the city of the market of New York. And then he became the largest jewel thief in America, and he got caught up in the mafia. And he didn't like it. He never liked the mafia. He moved over here from Sicily in the early late 50s in New York City. And he converted and he got out of it. People want to know how you get out of the mafia. I'm not going to spoil it by telling you how he got out. So from the proud earth, I took this song of him walking in the desert. He got visitations from angels, visitations from 
heavenly beings. And he went through quite a period of mystical experiences. That's why my book is called Christ in a Mystery, a mystical approach to conscious enlightenment out of the scriptures. Myst mystic or mystical. Oh my gosh, the Christians and the theologians, they just cringe when I use that word. A mystic. Oh, Lord, what a heretic. You know what mystic or mystical means? It simply means that you have a belief in having direct experience with God. That's all it means. I have had several mystical experiences in my life. That's why I call myself Mystic Guide. And... It's in my book. One of the most profound milestones in my life that rocked my world is when I heard the audible voice of God one night. You can read about it in my introduction. So, I'm going to give it another start, Ravi. Thank you for calling. I understand why you... <laughs> you must think you're... You're going to fire me, Ravi? And take over? Maybe you should. I'm sorry. I apologize to my believers. I hope I'm not going to make you late. I'm not. I'm going to tighten it up and get right to the story. We're going to begin in the book of John with the death of Lazarus. Okay? And then uh, we'll get started on our teaching rather than sharing all of my stories. tuned to Enlightenment Radio, the ultimate knowledge of body, soul, and spirit. You can find our app on Android and Apple. Also, our podcast listed on Spotify and Apple. And our website is themysticalvoyage.com where you can read our free living 3D book. It's a living book. If you've never seen a living book, go there and look at it. It will amaze you. My art director did a beautiful job. I just wrote it. And when I got back, the, just the book cover blew my mind. So we're going to get into the last week of Jesus Christ's life. Last night we studied how Jesus Christ ministry was only one year and not three so we dispelled that myth my original blog was the 101 myths m-i-t-h m-y-t-h-s the myths of christianity 
And when you hear about over a hundred myths of Christianity and you read it for yourself, it's no wonder you are misled. I had the fortune of being at the foot of a few great masters. And they were patient, taught articulately, and expounded upon the word like nobody I've ever heard since. And it spread like wildfire. Wildfire. That's my Kansas background, but I was born and raised in L.A. I'll never tell anybody I lived in Kansas. <laughs> so if you go to the book of John, we're going to get to the place where Jesus Christ was told by Martha, or she sent to get Jesus. And we're in chapter 11, so that she could heal her brother, Lazarus. And let's start with verse 17 in chapter 11. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days. It was Jewish law that you had to be dead and in the grave and not breathing for three days. These afterlife experiences may or may not be what they say they are. I don't care. I know that the dead are dead. If you're dead for 72 hours, you're dead. Now Bethany was near unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them. This is the same Mary, I believe, whom he cast out devils and delivered her from the bondage of her behavior to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Now listen to Martha's response to what Jesus Christ said, the dead shall rise again, or thy brother shall rise again. Well, Martha said unto him, I know this, he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Well, how come Martha knows more than all the preachers and pastors around the world? How come she knows that everybody's going to remain dead until the resurrection? They're not floating around in heaven or burning in hell. These are all lies. I do not want to get people too worked up by my conviction that people are not alive. You learn it. You see it. It says no man has ascended into heaven. It says David has not ascended into heaven. So that's good enough for me. If anybody could go to heaven, it was David.
So Mary, she said, I know that he shall live again in the resurrection. Jesus said under her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now I'm told I got cross references here. This is my favorite Bible. I wrote down so many cross references. It's a real art to studying scripture when you write down cross references. So I wrote down John 5:28. Let's see if I make a fool out of myself or not. Marvel not, it says at this, for the hour is coming in which all they that are in the graves, where are they? In the graves. Well, I thought they were up in heaven floating around smoking $10, $10 cigars. If it was so good up there now, why would you want to come back and get your body? <laughs> I don't know. But the dead are dead, according to Jesus. All they which are in the graves shall hear his voice. That's going to be a very mystical day. And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. That's the resurrection, folks. That's under the law. That's still under the law. That's not our grace period in which you and I have. Let me see if this says this a little bit later. It, well, actually, it says just a little bit before this. Verse 20, verily, verily, in verse 24, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believes on him that sent me, being God his Father, he has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So you and I, people, we are not under the law that they're speaking of of all those people who will be raised from the graves. We've already passed from death unto life. Now, I know when we die, we go to the grave. But we're guaranteed. We've got a ticket. That's what he's referring to. The new birth. The gift of eternal life. What a gift. So let's challenge this. Uh, Jesus Christ. And. His. Entries into Jerusalem, and I hope it's on my website because I forgot to print it out. I admit my mistakes. I'm not perfect. No, I rarely admit my mistakes. I rarely admit them. So let's see if we can find it on my website because I printed it out today and did not file it properly. It's those darn squirrels out there making a mess of everything to feed. Okay.
you can go to my website called Holy Spirit Social Club. I'm going to copy the link right now, and I'm going to put it in the uh, chat room. That is, if I can find the chat room. It, I know it's in the portal here. I know, Robbie. But I'm not in the portal. And I'm not myself. Let me turn it to me. I'm going to put this in the chat room. The uh, two entries into Jerusalem. Well, where's the portal to the group? Portal, there it is. So that's where the chat room's going to be. And lo and behold, it's called Tea Party with Us. Can you all say hi? <laughs> Poor Keto, she says hi. Are we having fellowship tonight, you poor baby, at 10.08? I'm sorry, Keto. I should all give you my direct line. <laughs> and we could party and give each other a wake-up call. So here comes the, uh, there's the lifeline to this teaching I'm teaching tonight. Have no fear, for God's Word has, tells you, fear not. Jesus raised Lazarus from among the dead, and did it cause a furor? Let me see if this says this. Okay, I don't need to read from the scripture. It says it right here in the opening of this teaching. Jesus raised Lazarus from among the dead. You notice it says from among the dead. That's because the word dead is plural. And the word spread of the mighty miracle. And when the word spreads in countries like Jerusalem in the Middle East, it spreads. India ought to know that too. From that day forward, the chief priests and Pharisees took counsel and conspired how they might put him to death. For what? Raising a man from among the dead? Yeah. Because it was taking their power and their money and their prestige away from them. They saw what was coming. So, Jesus enters a crowded Jerusalem where the people took palm branches and all cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord, the Lord Jehovah. During the final week of Jesus Christ's earthly life, he made a triumphant entry. This first entry is called the triumphant entry into Jerusalem that is known as Palm Sunday. The dictionary describes triumphant as achieving victory, feeling over expressing jubilation after having won victory. In order to understand what the jubilation among the people 
was all about we have to go back before he entered Jerusalem. And we did believe I covered this. Well, let's see what Jesus says something different. I didn't read this part to you. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, a town of Mary, and her sister Martha. Therefore his sister sent him, saying, Lord, behold, thou whom thou lo lovest is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. I did not read that part. I was in another chapter. So that he could stand there and say, in the name of our Lord, rise up out of the grave. And that glorified God, and that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Wow. He told you why. So that they would be glorified in other words, God set this up to stir up the people and spread the word around the region of this mighty, mighty miracle. God had a special purpose for this dark moment. After that, he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. Have you ever heard that term about the dead, that they're sleeping? Paul used that term also. The dead are asleep. But I go that I might may awake him out of sleep. Then said the disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. <laughs> That's what I say. Time to get up. Well, if I shall sleep, then I shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. You see, we're not so, I would have thought the same thing back then. You know, I would have thought, thought he meant the same thing. They're not stupid back then. They just did not have the Bible to read for 2,000 years to get a handle on it. So if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. John, Jesus understood death. It's final until the resurrection. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave for four days already. Jesus had raised from the dead before, but not after four days. And many of the Jews came. Well, la-ti-da, the Jews showed up. The crowd was building. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here earlier, you could have saved my brother. And then she go, we go through that conversation. Even Martha knew the dead are dead until the resurrection. 
Well, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whatsoever liveth, whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? The cornerstone, the window of time we have while we are here on earth, as to how to overcome death. <laughs> it's that simple. We have a window of time from the cradle to the grave to learn how we can overcome death, the final darkness. And it's laid out right here. He that believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, who should come into the world. She went as far as to believe in him, but not only a prophet, but the Messiah of God. But she could not quite grasp, I am the resurrection. You will never die if you believe in me. Her world was about to change. Then when Mary was come, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at her feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not yet died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and sobbing, Jesus also weeping, who came with her, he groaned in the spirit, the figure of speech, of just grieving in the spirit and was troubled. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, comes to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. <laughs> About several people must have looked around at each other and said, Well, who's he talking to? We're going to move this stone? I'm not, you know, you do it. No, you do it. <laughs> I'm kidding. For he hath been dead four days, Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou would believe, thou should see the glory of God? Jesus did not come right away because something mighty and greater was to happen than healing a man while he was sick. The glory of God was about to be witnessed and magnified by the power of his resurrection, life unto Lazarus, foreshadowing the glory and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the sign of all signs. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, now, if God wasn't up in heaven and Jesus Christ was God, who's he talking to and why is he looking up? These people are so stupid. Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people. Whoa, 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 back up, back up. I thank thee that thou hearest me or heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me, what? Always. 
always. We don't think that way, do we? But because of the people who stand by said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Proving he was Christ, the Messiah of God, this was God's purpose. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead from forth came forth, bound hand and foot with gravy clothes, and his face was bound about with napkin. Jesus saith unto him, Loose him, and let him go. Then many of the Jews, here they come, who came to Mary, had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. They believed, many of the Jews believed on him. Well, good for them. Did I just read that right? <laughs> Many of the Jews who came to help Mary had seen the things which Jesus did. When you see it, when you see it happen, you see back then in the Old Testament, which the Gospels still were, you had to see first and believe. Now we, have, we believe first, then we see. That's a... That's a immutable law. Now you have faith. You believe first, then you manifest that which you believe. In the Old Testament, they had to believe and then they saw. Or excuse me. They had to see first and then they would believe. My bad. Get that straight one more time. The differences in the two administrations, the one of Jesus Christ and grace and the one of the Old Testament and the law, the law you had to see it first. You had to see the parting of the sea before you were about to go walking through that sea. Jesus Christ, today we believe, we have faith to bring to pass something that we have not seen yet, but we believe to bring it to pass. That's how it works. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done, then gathered the chief priests and Pharisees a council and said, what do we do for this man does many miracles and signs? Jesus had performed many miracles, but this was a sign. Verse 47, this man does many signs, is in most translations. Why did people now believe that he was telling the truth, that he was the Messiah? Why it took him so long? It's in the book of John. That's what they questioned the entire book. They didn't question whether he was God, the great I am. That's another myth. If they would just read the verses before that and after that, Jesus Christ said, I'm the Son of God, many times. But the question was, are you the Messiah? And he said, before Abraham was, 
I am. I am is supposedly the name of God. Show me that verse. So, his prophecy, Jesus Christ's prophecy, God said he would bring about a Messiah in Genesis 3.15, which was before Abraham was. Before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus was referring to foreordained. Not, he was not alive or created then. So we're getting to the point here now where Jesus had performed these miracles and these guys were getting their dandruff up. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to destroy the Son of God. Then Jesus knew that he was there in Bethany. They came not for, for Jesus' sake only, but to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from among the dead. Because of Lazarus, many were believed and went away, spread the word. The word was spread of the mighty miracle and sign that Jesus was the Messiah. The chosen one, Messiah, simply means the anointed one, servant of God. In this case, he was the son of God. It also just happened to be near Passover to Jerusalem. So that makes it even more conflict if you're building a movie and a three-act play you got to have more conflict and build intensity let's have the passover coming so that's where you get conflict and intention going now we're in the third act really if this is a movie we're in the third act of this thing it doesn't, because once these guys conspire and get Judas to betray him, the third act, or any act, there's three acts in a movie generally, and the act three turning point, they call it, is the turning point of no return. You're in a fix. Jesus knew he was in a fix. Remember, he prayed to God, let this cup pass from me. He read Isaiah. He read of the beatings. He read of the blood, the torture that was going to come to him. He knew it. Well, anyway, the word was spread of the mighty miracle and signs that Jesus was the Messiah. It also just happened to be near Passover at Jerusalem was crowded. Now the stage was set for his first entry into Jerusalem. Okay? This is what we're speaking of. This is what we're teaching on tonight. The first entry into Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem and why it was triumphant. They had found their Messiah and King. Now let's determine when he made his first entry. 
I will put out a calendar next week because the calendar of the events in the last week of Jesus Christ's life do not match up with tradition. He didn't get crucified on Friday afternoon, late afternoon, and get up early Sunday morning and even come close to amounting to three days, which is 72 hours. So that's a false tradition right there if you got a math book. But there's scriptures that fit and checks and balances that you can get to and use if you use the principles that are available to make it fit. We're just being indoctrinated into the tradition. You know, if you're indoctrinated into so much tradition, it's still easy as rolling off a wet log backwards to get born again and have eternal life. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. They made him a supper, and Martha served, and Lazarus, one of them, was at the table. I hope he showered. <laughs> Six days before Passover would make it the 14th of Nisan. It's spelled like the car, N-I-S-S-A-N, being a Thursday that year. Now, their beginning day in Jerusalem was evening time. You might say 6 o'clock in the evening began the next day. So that's why it says being a Thursday that year. John 1, 12, uh, is going to give us a time on the next day. This is the first day after John tells us in verse 1 that it was six days before the Passover. The Passover is on the 14th, so backing up would make the next day of verse 12, the ninth of Nisan, and the final week calendar would make it Friday, the ninth of Nisan. It was not Palm Sunday as traditionally taught. This original entry into Jerusalem was a Friday. You see, they mixed up a high day. Every Sabbath day was a high day, but that year, the high day was also the Passover day, and the Passover day, I believe, was on the 14th of Nisan, which was a Wednesday. Anyway, when you make these fit, that was the day his triumphant entry into Jerusalem was on a Friday, not Palm Sunday, traditionally taught. In 1223, many people who had come to the feast were waiting for Jesus because they heard he was coming. They took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. Look how long it took John to get him to believe that. 
The people who were with him when he called out Nazareth out of the grave and raised him from among the dead gave witness that this was true, and for this reason the people crowded around him, giving honor that he had done this mighty miracle. But the Pharisees said, Look, the whole world is gone after him. Wow. Wow, these Pharisees said that. The whole world has gone out after him. Why are all of my station IDs not working? So the whole world had gone out after him. That's a pretty powerful statement, and that's true. Who's the God and ruler of this world? The people who were with him, uh, but the Pharisees said, look, the whole world has gone out after him. Even the Gentiles were there at the feast desiring the apostles to see him. Mark 19:35-38 And they brought the colt to Jesus and they cast their garments up and set Jesus on the colt spreading their clothes along the way Remember I read you those prophecies last week They prophesied it down even to that they would be gambling for his garments remember it would be good to go through those prophecies again. That's, that's amazing detail. And God knows this thousands of years ahead of time. That's foreknowledge. That's omnis, omniscience is what the word is. Knowing that ahead of time. Doesn't mean you're clairvoyant. God's right 100% of his t foretelling. Clairvoyance, seers, divinations, they're wrong 90% of the time. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon and set Jesus on the colt, spreading their clothes along the way. And when he was come near at the descent at the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, the Lord Jehovah, peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Well, who's the highest? Jehovah. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him. They're obedient to God. They obeyed everything Jesus said. These people were obedient to what Jesus said. And he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and spread them in the way. And they that went in front and behind cried, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord God Jehovah. 
And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked around about all things, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. For it was near evening time, the twelve apostles. So this marks the historical triumphant first entry into Jerusalem. Jesus Christ was hailed King and Messiah, and there was much joy in that city. His raising Lazarus from among the dead was the great PR that opened the gates with hailing crowds. He taught in the temple and walking among the people without being threatened to or harmed as times before while in Jerusalem. He wouldn't go into Jerusalem because he knew they were after him. However, he left that night to sleep in Bethany and the disciples prepared to enter Jerusalem the following day. A second entry. That's right. They prepared to enter Jerusalem the following day. The tenth of Nisan. Remember the tenth of Nisan when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, I told you that the tenth of Nisan was the day they picked the lamb to be slaughtered. I'm not going to go any further than that right now because that's the second entry. When the Passover lamb would be selected and set apart by the priest, little did the world know the Lamb of God would also be selected, the temple rocked, and Jerusalem judged. One last major significance to this record. It marked the beginning of the end of the Jewish civilization and ancestry. I almost thought about putting up a website. <laughs> you know what a Jew is? I asked rabbis, I asked Jewish people, what's a Jew? A Jew technically is a Judean that was a tribe separated out from Israel. The Judean Jew is short for Judean. But the original tribe was married. They were tight. They were a hybrid breed, so to speak. There is no hybrid breed in the world. There is no such thing as race in the world anymore because of the Genome Project proved that nobody can tell what color your skin is by your DNA. Look it up. They cannot tell if you're a Chinaman, a black man, or an Indian by your DNA. Only thing they can tell is if you're a man or a woman. And I thought in the year 2000, that racism would be over. Glory. Nope. They had to, uh, even politicians had to push it even further. So, our genes, the DNA and the Genome Project said, no, you cannot tell what race. And so that means there's no such thing as race. Ethnicity, Things like that. Other words, yeah. But think about it. 
there were generations upon generations upon generations that kept the records of all the Jews. So-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so. And they were all of the lineage of one person or the, the lineage of David. The woman, Mary, had to come from the lineage of David. And she did. So the lineage of Jesus Christ. So this lineage thing is seed. The seed of the male determines what your lineage, your ancestors, your heritage, your birthright is. It's the seed on the male side that determines all that. Always has been, always was. Well, they don't keep records anymore. Well, okay, so how do you know you're a Jew? You can't tell by checking your DNA. We've proven that. We can test your DNA, and you're a mixture of all kinds of things and ethnicities and regions around the world. They cannot tell what race you are. So the Jews, or people who call themselves Jews today, are not a race. And I'll debate any person on that topic. I've studied it for years. It's no big deal. I'm not anti-Jewish. I wish them well. But they're taking it on the chin for nothing. That's another topic. <clears throat> you can go on my same Holy Spirit Social Club and read Are the Jews Extinct? One last major significance, Luke 19.40, and when Jesus was come near Jerusalem, this is significant, people. Listen to this. When Jesus, one last major significance, it marked the beginning of the end of the Jewish civilization and ancestry. He was on a hill near Jerusalem and beheld the city and wept over it because he knew that this was the big finale. The curtain was going to close on Jerusalem. And after he was crucified in 27 AD, the Romans sacked and brought down the temple in Israel in the year 70 AD. Jesus was the last generation of true Jews who were born of the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This wept is the test text closer to a deep wailing. He wailed as he overlooked the city from the Mount of Olives. Why? Because his heart was torn for Jerusalem when he saw the revelation of her destruction. Luke 19, 42 and 43 if thou had known, even thou at least in this day, the things which belong unto the, thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee 
that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around and keep thee on every side and shall lay thee even unto the ground and thy children and they shall not leave thee one stone upon another because the Thou knew not the time of visitation. This is a figure of speech simply stating that they did not know or believe or understand that this was the end of their civilization and reign in the Middle East. This letter uttered demise geographically culturally, religiously, and their civilization. From the New Living Translation, 42, how I wish today that you all, of all you people, would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Behold, before long, your enemies will build up ramparts against your walls, and encircle you and close in on you from every side. He's prophesying what God's telling him. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. This also prophesied in other areas of the scriptures, yet this day it was established in the final judgment by the Son of God. There would be no turning back. The clock of existence of Israel was ticking down. It was also the beginning of the most historical week of destiny upon mankind the world would ever experience. You've just heard, this is part one of the three-part series, the two entries and the extinction of the Jews. That ends our teaching for tonight, but if you'll stick around, I've got one added tidbit that I learned while researching this subject. So hold on, I've got one more really wonderful thing to explain the difference between the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. Stick around, I've got one more thing to add.
You're listening to the sound of Guy Sweens, Vasanta, from the album, can't read it, but I, lo- I have four albums by him now, I'm sure you people in the East love his music, it sounds very Eastern, you wouldn't want me playing ACDC at the end of a teaching like that, would you? I don't think so. So I told you I had a surprise and a teaching that I've never heard before. So you're going to get an exclusive tonight. There's another reason why Jesus wept over Israel. And there's another reason why his first entry was triumphant. The next entry the next day was going to be judgment, and you'll learn that the next time I teach this, the second entry into Jerusalem, which would have been the next day. The colt, the ass, represented Jesus riding on an ass with a colt, was a symbolic gesture of bringing in a gift to his bride. That's what it was. That's the significance of the two animals the first time. Israel is the bride of Christ, not the church of God. Oh, people, they think that we are the The bride of Christ, how can you be the bride of the groom and the body of the groom at the same time? How silly they've been and unthinking. And we are the body, the entity of Christ, which is spiritual. Israel is the bride. The wedding takes place at the end of Revelation when Jerusalem comes down and all the people who've been raised from among the dead are in paradise on earth, and we are in a spiritual kingdom light years away because we are spiritual beings. We're not body and soul people anymore. We are more than conquerors as spiritual beings. We are the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is where? Seated in the heavenlies. We're not going to be sitting around here on earth like we have been for the last few thousand years. We have a new kingdom. Look at those galaxies out there and just imagine that they are parallel or equivalent to the magnitude of the kingdoms that shall be transformed throughout the universe into spiritual kingdoms. That's how I look at it. It's in my book, The Reign, The Kingdom Reign. When you, Jesus Christ was bringing the cult symbolically to his bride, Israel, and that's why he wept over the city. He got rejected by the bride, God got rejected by his people, and now their fate was sealed. 
so the bride never got her gift. And that proves that we are the body of Christ. There's one body, one spirit, one baptism. And where does this say that we are the bride of Christ anyway? Paul talks of us as compared as a wife to a husband, but he never says that we are the bride of Christ. We're the body of Christ. That's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the bride of Christ is Israel. Just remember that as we go along in this teaching. It says in the beginning, Jesus Christ came unto his own, which were the Jews. He came to deliver them first. And when they rejected Paul and the mystery and all the disciples teaching the great mystery, well, what can you do? But just let them sit it out. Let them learn for themselves when they see during the wedding that Jerusalem comes down and the great feast takes place between the Jews and the God and Jesus Christ and the nations will be among them also. So, God bless you. This is your host, Mystic Guide. You've just listened to Jesus Christ, our Passover, our foundational verse for the last week of Jesus Christ's life. Like I said, it's the most historical week in the history of the world. And next week, the tea party will start on time. I'll push the right button. And also, we have music on Saturday mornings, USA time, Saturday night, Bollywood time. And that's going to be lowered to two hours from now on. I guess you people just couldn't hang in with us Americans for three hours. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's only time for so much in this world. And we've been delivered from this world. We are already seated in the heavenlies, it says. We are already in his kingdom. Thank you, Father, for the accuracy of your word and the next week's teaching coming off without a hitch. God bless and good night. And I never look back Cause I'm walking through sunshine and rain I'm a man who has lived in the tombs And has broken the chain Oh, 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 oh man
Watch out! 